He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God the only Son who is close to the Father's heart who has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you for a new year. God, we thank you for the opportunity that you have to give us uh, a place to stand as we are here at the beginning of 2020. Lord, we ask for your help. Uh, Your help, as Ashley said, during this season that's about to begin, this uh, season of Epiphany, your help to Uh, see you, Jesus, for who you really are, and then make you known. God, we know that if we don't see you clearly, if we don't perceive you, if we don't welcome you, as this text says, then we'll never truly be able to make you known. We'll never be able to proclaim you. So, Lord, first things first, help us to see Jesus, Lord. Not just in a sermon, but, God, as we live our lives. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. At the beginning of this passage, you see a a really sad progression before things turn in a favorable direction. And I think that for us, as we look at our world and we see so much uncertainty around us, it's easy to identify with that kind of uh, a sense of regression or a sense of uncertainty that leads us to places of, of even fear or hurt. And so we're going to look at the first three movements of this passage and uh, we're going to note how things seem to go from bad to worse before there's an invitation. And I hope that we will all, as we look at our lives, see the invitation. The first thing that I think John, the beloved, wants us to see is that God, uh, the creator and sustainer of the world, has actually entered into our space It's one of the most beautiful things about John um, 1. It's this beautiful narrative that says that God has come close to us. That God, rather than being distant, rather than being far away, and frankly, a lot of us live our lives with God as if he were far away. Um, I think of that old terrible song uh, that God is watching us from a distance. And a lot of us don't uh, would not use clockmaker language, but we live our lives as if God were a clockmaker and he set things in motion and then he just retreats to his place and says, good luck, y'all. And because of the hurt in our world, uh, because of the uncertainty that many of us live with, whether it's um, uncertainty as we think about the United States and Iran kind of squaring off in the world stage right now or uncertainty that comes because of a health crisis or uncertainty that comes when a relationship seems to be going in the wrong direction or a job is not panned out like we hoped it would pan out 
or if it's just that uncertainty that comes when we're not sure that we're up to the task. And if we're honest, all of us are feeling one of those things or more than one of those things, even as we come into a room like today. And because of that, we live our lives as if God is somehow far removed from us. And I believe that one of the great invitations in front of us as Christians is to begin to cultivate an imagination and a way of living and a way of seeing the world that actually reminds us that God is not far from you, but God has actually moved toward you to enter into your space. When God became flesh and blood in the person of Jesus Christ, the son, what God did in the words of Eugene Peterson, God rest his soul, is that the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. God wants to remind us, I believe, that he is nearer to us than we might imagine, that his presence is more accessible to us than we might at first perceive. But that requires you and me to cultivate a kind of attentiveness. If you're not attentive, if I'm not attentive to the presence of God, then what happens is, is in the busyness of my life, in the distraction of my days, I walk right past these invitations to see God. I say this from time to time to you here at this church because I think it's one of the most profound pictures in our whole Bible when Moses was in Midian as a disqualified redeemer, as someone who thought he would take matters into his own hands and then he was exiled to the back middle of nowhere. When he sees that burning bush, the language in the text suggests that the burning bush was off to the side and that God did not speak to Moses until he noticed the thing that was off to the side. So often in your life and mine, the thing that God is trying to do will appear kind of off to the side. And that means if you're not paying attention, you might walk right past. And I believe that the beginning of a new year is a wonderful invitation for people like me and you to say, if God has moved into my space, am I noticing the work of God? Am I attentive enough through daily practices and spiritual disciplines, through the presence of God and cultivating an awareness in worship, or am I distracted? Am I hurried? Am I worried? Am I so busy that I walk right on past the burning bush? The bush was on fire, but God did not speak until Moses turned aside. Where are you carving out space in your life to turn aside? And I will be so bold as to say this. If you're not, you will not experience much of what God has for you. God has moved into our space. But in the passage in John 1, things go from a really hopeful beginning to something pretty sad The second movement in this passage is that the inhabitants of God's world, people like me and you, did not know God. And this idea of not knowing him um, might just mean they didn't know what they, they didn't know they should be looking for anything. But more likely it means what it means for you and for me, which is that when I don't know God, oftentimes what that means is I was looking for another version of God. And I think that at the time of Jesus, when he was first introduced into our human story, the Jews are languishing under a kind of horrible oppression. They were, um, they were serving under a foreign occupying military presence. The, the Romans were, were running the show in their neighborhood. And because of that, they had lost a lot of their sense of identity. And they were all hoping that God would send a redeemer, that he would send someone like Judas Maccabeus. 
And if you're familiar with the story of Hanukkah, uh, those eight nights of Hanukkah, it was a time of, of remarkable oppression right before Jesus came. And the Lord called this guy, Judas, from the family, uh, the Maccabean family, to rise up and lead a revolt against another foreign occupying military power. And there was blood in the streets, and the Jews were safe. And they were liberated. And at the time of Jesus, just a couple of hundred years after that, the Jews were also thinking, we need another Judas Maccabeus. We need another person who will rise up and fight for us. And you know what this feels like. I know I do. There are times in my life where I'm facing something so frustrating, so difficult, that something it seems like something drastic needs to happen in order to set things right. I believe that when the world did not know Jesus, what that means is they were looking for another kind of Jesus. They wanted a hero. They wanted someone who would spill some blood. And you might be facing a situation in your life right now to where you would think, I need a God to come in and kind of like kick some butt and take some names. I need somebody who's going to kind of shake things up and make things happen. And the world was looking for that. And so they missed a baby. The world was looking for something dramatic in the same way that Moses, when he, when he killed that person and buried him in the sand, thinking, this is how I'm going to be a liberator. This is how I'm going to deliver my people from Egypt. God had to lead him into the back middle of nowhere with his head hanging low, discouraged, and speak to him through a bush and tell him, take your shoes off and learn to worship me and learn to be the kind of person who cooperates with me. The work of God that will uh, commence in your life, the thing that God most likely wants to do in your life is going to happen around the edges and it's going to be an invitation for you to be attentive and to pay attention. The world did not know him because the world was looking for something else. And then it gets worse. Not only did the world not know him, the inhabitants of the world did not accept him when they did see him. And the picture here is, uh, it's a horrible picture. It's a picture of, a, uh, of, of an owner of a house going on a journey and then coming back and putting the key in the lock and the locks had been changed. The, the, the world said, now that we do see you, you're not what we were looking for and so we do not welcome you. And the picture that John the Beloved is trying to paint here is that sometimes our expectations of God are so formed that when God does not meet our expectations, we say, no, thank you. And you may be in this place right now. And I don't mean like walk away from your faith, no, thank you. I mean, some of us may be there. I, I was almost there a number of years ago where I was so disillusioned I felt that I knew so acutely what I needed that when I didn't get what I needed, I almost told God to take a hike. When John says that the world did not accept Jesus, I believe that one of the things he's trying to get you and me to think about is do we have expectations that are so formed that when God doesn't meet those expectations, we feel like taking our toys and going home. I'm always in danger of trying to fashion God in my own eyes and in my own image. I'm always running the risk of trying to say, I know what it is that you need to do in my life, and if you don't do it, then I'm not sure that I'm down with this. And so John tells us this story of God not only being missed, but being outright rejected. 
a kind of statement that says, if this is God, if this is how God works, if this is the road God's inviting me to go down, then I don't think I want to do that. I don't want him. I turn him back at the door. But the fourth thing we see here is that while lots of people said, I cannot pivot, there were people who said, I will receive you not as I want you to be, not as I feel like I need you to be, but I will let you be God. I will let you come to me like you come to me. And the text tells us in no uncertain terms that those who did receive him were given power. Power to what end? Power for what? The Bible says here, maybe one of the most beautiful things that the Bible can tell you, the power to become a daughter, the power to become a son. And in my mind, one of the great invitations in front of you and me is this power to move from a consuming thing to a child in a home. To move from a kind of mindless consumer to a daughter. Um at the risk of chasing some of you away. Uh, I uh, prefer, as a social commentary, the uh, zombie genre to the vampire genre, uh, on the record. And, and here's why. Um, Stephen King, so I'm going to lose more of you now by quoting Stephen King. Um, Stephen King said something to the effect of, if you want to know the difference between right and wrong and good and evil, um, the power of choice, um, read Harry Potter. If you want to know the importance of having a girlfriend, read the Twilight books. And I, I think that he was trying to say something about our culture's fascination with vampires, um, a sort of like romanticized undead, whereas in the zombie world, in terms of social commentary, there's a kind of mindless consumerism. If you go back to the 1970s, to that, that horrible movie that I do not recommend any of you watch, Dawn of the Dead, they all went to the mall. And that, that's, that was what the writer was trying to get you to see, is that at the end of the movie, all the mindless consumers went to the mall. They, they marched into the parking lot of the mall. Now they would be using keyboards to gain access to Amazon Prime, probably, something like that. The Lord wants you to know something. The world tells us, when I'm disappointed, consuming more will make me feel better. The world says, when things don't work out, you just need to drink more, or eat more, or watch more, and you'll forget about those disappointments. And so this is what we do. Our relationship goes south. We get sick. We're worried about what's happening in Iran. And so we just watch Netflix. And do you understand that what that is, is we're succumbing to a kind of strategic enemy plan for us, which is to, in the face of disappointment, consume. 
But to those who would receive him, Jesus gave the power to become children of God. He took us from a consuming thing in our disappointment to a child who would look to her father and say, would you keep me safe? Would you lead me on? One of my favorite illustrations of this is from one of the Narnia books where a little boy named Eustace uh, behaves in a dragony way and he becomes a, a dragon. Uh, and, and he uh, scares his friends who didn't really like him in the first place because he was kind of a naughty little boy. But then Eustace decides one day that he doesn't want to be a dragon forever. And he goes up into this lonely place and he's met by this lion in a lonely place who represents God in the story. And the lion says to him, do you want to be a boy? And he says, I do want to be a boy again. And the lion says, you're going to have to take that skin off. And in the story that C.S. Lewis tells, Eustace as a dragon uses his dragon claws to dig into the skin. And a layer of skin comes off, but there's more dragon underneath. He's still a dragon. And finally, the lion looks at him and says, if you're going to be a boy, you're going to have to let me do it. So Eustace has to lay down on a table and open up and make himself vulnerable. And the lion uses his paw to cut into him. And way down deep under layer after layer after layer of dragon skin, there's a little boy inside. I believe that when John says, that Jesus gives us the power to become sons and daughters. In part, what John is suggesting is that only Jesus can get at that essential child in you and recover that beauty of what it means to be a child of God. And many of us in this room are behaving and demonstrating the signals of dragon-like behavior. And only God can make you a girl again, a boy again, and you have to let him. And I believe that one of the things that God wants to give us is an awareness that Jesus shows up and wants to help you recover a childlike sense of who you are. So I would just ask you this, where are you cynical? And where is that cynicism keeping you from seeing God at work in you? Where are you disappointed? And where is that disappointment preventing you from seeing what God might be wanting to really do in your life? If Advent, the season that we've just finished today, is all about making room for Jesus, the season to come, Epiphany, is about seeing Jesus for who he really is. And the Bible says to us, the word became flesh and lived among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. When the people who knew Jesus would have heard those words, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. They would have undoubtedly imagined Genesis 1, the very beginning of our Bible. Because in Genesis 1, there was a sense of chaos all around the world. The world was dark and it was formless and it was void. It was empty. It was churning with this dark black water. It was a, a scary place. And the word of God spoke into that scary place and brought light and darkness and land and animals and community and I believe that when these people listening to John say these words about Jesus, the word for word is logos, which is the same idea that would have been that ordering idea at the very beginning of creation. Um, logos means the word or the logic. That's the word we get logic from. It's the, the word of God that brings order. 
And one of the things that Jesus does when he moves into proximity with you and me is he wants to speak order into the chaos. See, the Jews were never seafaring people. And so whenever you see water in the Bible, it's almost always um, something that's supposed to say to you, this is big, this is scary, this is uncertain, this is chaos. And I would just say to you, where's the water in your life right now? Where are things big and uncertain and chaotic? Jesus wants to enter into and speak order into chaos so that order emerges out of chaos. So where are you sitting with some chaos? Where are you facing uncertainty? This is why it's so important for us to do a little bit of examination as we walk into a new year, because God wants to say something to the chaos of your life. Jesus actually has something to say. He wants to speak life into chaos. He wants to speak hope into uncertainty. But we have to actually quiet down enough to hear what he has to say to us. So where is there chaos that the Lord is wanting to speak into? Where are there unwieldy places in your life that require the word of God coming into them to turn you into a daughter, a son, rather than a consumer, rather than someone who checks out? Here's where we'll end. Three things come from Jesus. Glory, grace, and truth. And when I think about these three words, um, I really think that these three words say a lot to us about what we need. We need glory, which is an experience of God. Uh, Glory is like the illuminating presence of God that actually shows you the way, but it also warms your heart. It it gives you an experience of God. And I just want to say this to you. Um, My hope for us in this church as we progress is that we would be people who experience more and more of God's glory. That we don't just think about God in our heads, but we experience him in our lives and our bodies. That your emotions would be touched by God. I believe that you need to experience the glory that comes from Jesus. The kind of glory that might make you raise your hands when you sing songs. That might help you get out of your head and into deeper places. We need Jesus because Jesus warms us. John Wesley, one of my favorite thinkers, um, favorite pastors. Uh, he wasn't a great husband, but he was a, he was a good pastor in some ways, um, which is hard for me to reconcile um, because I love him so much and also very disappointed in him in some ways. Um, John Wesley said about the Lord that when he experienced the presence of God, that his heart was strangely warmed. I believe that your heart needs to be strangely warmed by God. Grace comes from Jesus as well. Not only does he want to warm your heart, he wants to give you the power to become the kind of woman, the kind of man that he's called you to be. I believe that grace, one great way of defining grace is the empowering presence of God that enables you to be and do what God has called you to be and do. That's why the Bible tells us the grace of God has appeared instructing men and women to deny ungodliness. It's the power of God that allows you to be the person you've been called to be. And finally, truth. Knowing up from down, right from wrong, knowing that God is the way for you to move and live, to orient your life around. As we walk into a new year, I believe the Lord wants us to see these things. And as Ashley said at the end of her announcement time, Alpha for us is a way for us to amplify these things in the heart of God for you. And so whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, one of the things Ashley didn't say is that if you're new to this church, Alpha is the way we want you to assimilate into the life of the church. It's the way we want you to take a next step. So if you're checking our church out and you've been a Christian forever, we want you to come to Alpha. 
because Alpha is a way for you to actually learn about what we believe and get to know people who live in your neighborhood and drink a good beer and eat a good meal and maybe assimilate into a church. We believe that Jesus wants us to be the kinds of people who grow and who grow together. So on the 23rd of January, we hope that you will help us fill that room that will grow together over seven weeks thinking about God, actually seeing who Jesus is and what he can do for us. If you're able, let's stand up together. Thanks so much for listening to the sermon today. My name is Chris McDaniel. I am the pastor here on the west side at Trinity in Atlanta. At Trinity, our mission is to be a people who are growing into Christ's likeness. And if you want to find out more information about Trinity or get connected to the life of the church, please visit us at atltrinity.org. Thanks. God bless.